Hebrews 11. Gordon read to us a minute ago. The reason why uh, John and Tim are kind of fighting with each other, it started last night at dinner and it's still going on. <laughs> and the reason why Tim had a headache was not because of cookies he ate, but because of all the rest that he ate last night. It was nice at the fellowship class, they take me and Ann out uh, once a year to dinner, and so they took us out last night to dinner, and uh, and they were all there, and uh, uh, when the waitress came, I said, these are all my kids, and she looked at me, you know, and it's kind of believable, I guess, you know, age-wise anyway, so we always have fun. <laughs> Message number six uh, from Hebrews 11, and uh, I want to combine the two passages as was read to us uh, because they talk about the two women that are mentioned by faith, one being Sarah, the, the wife of Abraham, and the other is Rahab, the woman who helped the spies and then was saved when Jericho was destroyed. And we see that both they did, uh, they did by faith. So I'm glad that we have two uh, female examples of faith, because there have been all throughout the Old Testament scriptures and then the New, uh, many examples of women who walked by faith. Uh, this uh, chapter could have included Miriam, uh, Moses' sister, could have included Deborah, the judge, uh, Ruth or Naomi, maybe Anna or Elizabeth uh, at the time of the birth of Christ, and then the New Testament, what, Mary, uh, uh, Mary or Martha, Lydia, uh, uh, many others that uh, we find by faith that uh, walked with the Lord. Uh, you know, our examples today are getting fewer and fewer, aren't they? When we look around us in the world today, we don't have that many examples, even in high places, of people to follow. Uh, I think it was not long ago, uh, you know, you kind of had an example of a good person versus a bad person. I think even Hollywood, you know, made good, there's the good guy, there's the bad guy. And now you simply have the bad guy and the worst guy, you know, or the, the, the bad woman and the worst woman. And so we don't have a lot of examples. You can't really look to uh, television or entertainment, not even sports uh, very much for uh, examples to walk by. Uh, and uh, politics and education, uh, we're seeing, uh, don't offer our young people uh, many examples either. But it's good in a way because we're, we are to look at godly wives, godly mothers and grandmothers. We are to look in our local churches for women of faith that we can admire and look up to and be thankful for. And so many times our examples before the Lord are little known people, at least they would be little known to the rest of the world, uh, but great examples to us. Matter of fact, I want to I want to take a little aside here and, and, and mention something because I, I heard this on the news this week, uh, having to do with uh, examples in Washington D.C. Uh, and and by the way, b besides that, I wrote a little post uh, online about Billy Graham being thankful for a man who kept his life clean. And though I disagreed with him, uh, especially in some of his theology and his ecumenicalism, I'm glad for a man that preached the gospel. I think there are thousands of people in heaven because of him. And 
so, so I'm thankful for that. And, and for a few days anyway, uh, even uh, the United States of America uh, had to bite their tongue and uh, uh, listen to his words again, that <laughs> you must be born again. And I'm thankful for that. But I, uh, I heard a, a, a different pastor being interviewed and the question was asked to him from another news source, a man that usually isn't very conservative, and he said, how can Christians like you support a president and even a first lady uh, that have not always been stellar examples when it comes to faith or morality? How can you, how can you support such person as if, you know, it's, it's uh, basically just really out of line for us to do so? Well, he gave an answer that I thought was okay. He said, basically, because I'm not electing a Sunday school teacher, I'm electing a, a president. But I think uh, something should go beyond that, and I, I want to say these things in five words, okay? Because we're talking about examples here today. The first word is scripture. You know, we have in the New Testament many examples of believers living under uh, leaders who were less than stellar examples. Even in Israel, the high priests themselves and the leadership of the Jewish nation were not godly people, and yet they honored them and they lived their lives according to what God wanted them to do regardless of who was in the high priesthood. And then you have the Roman Empire, and here is Paul and others telling us to honor our leaders, to pray for our leaders, but we haven't seen as bad a leaders as a Nero uh, and as a Domitian and those kinds of men who put Christians to death uh, by the hundreds. Uh, and yet they, they followed, they uh, prayed for them, and they gave them honor and called them even ministers of God. And so we have, first of all, Scripture to give us example of how believers should live under leaders. Secondly is history. The church for 2,000 years has lived in every country of the world, in every time, and in every place, and under every possible t style of leadership that you can imagine. And they've had to do it. It's not been Christians' choice when and where they live. This is just where God has put them in history. And so some of them have lived under great leaders with great freedom, and some of them have lived under terrible leaders with no freedom, and yet they have served God where they were and when they were. And we do too. And this is where God has put us and what has come our way, and that's what we will do. So thirdly, the word is prayer, because we are to pray for our leaders that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all honesty and godliness. And so that is what we want. We want what will allow us, as the people of God, to live our life before God in a pleasing way. And so we want our leaders the best that we can get, and they'll never be perfect. They'll never be uh, all that they should be but give me the best choice I have so that I can live an honest and godly life uh, before the Lord. And so, fourthly, the word is choice. And that is, if you have a choice, even if it's between a not-so-good person and a worse person, give me the not-so-good person. Because it will let me live my life easier before God. And some, many times throughout history, that's the only choice that Christians have had, and they've taken it. And God's sovereignty takes care of the rest. 
And so give me the best choice I have out there because you'll never have a perfect choice, never have a really good choice. Some much better than others. And then the last word is gospel because we are commissioned to take the gospel around the world and so uh, we want the best scenario in our country and in our leadership that will allow us to take the gospel to our generation and around the world. And if there's a worse choice, I don't want that one. I want the better choice. And so to me, it's a matter of God's sovereignty and where he has put us and when. And asking the Lord to let us live our lives before God the way that we should and to minister the gospel the way that we should in our time and place. And so uh, if it's a matter of uh, good guy and bad guy, give me the good guy. If it's a matter of uh, bad guy and worst guy, then give me the bad guy. <laughs> I'd rather have that than the worst. So that's my opinion. Uh, that's an editorial. didn't cost you anything for your offering today. We're going to look at these two examples, and that is uh, Rahab and, and Sarah, Sarah first and then Rahab. And let, let me uh, just remind you of something. First of all, we're looking at Rahab in a minute, who was saved from a life of sin. So we have this example of uh, somebody that God saved out of her paganism, out of her sinful type of life. That's why she's called Rahab the harlot. Uh, and it's interesting, uh, by the way, uh, she's listed here not because she is Rahab the harlot, but because she was Rahab the harlot. As somebody that God saved and changed and made an example uh, because of the way that she came to faith. It's also interesting that, uh, you know, in the genealogies, like in Matthew's genealogy, uh, we learn that she married a, a man named Salmon, S-A-L-M-O-N, and that uh, if she was not the immediate mother of Boaz, at least she was a few generations, uh, grandmother or, or so, of Boaz, who married Ruth, who became the great-grandparents of King David. And so here, not only uh, is she saved out of the life that she came out of, but God places her in the direct line of King David, who's, of course, in the direct line of Messiah. And so God uses people like this. And in the genealogies, uh, uh, you have uh, uh, then uh, Ruth, who was a Gentile, Moabitess, and now you have Rahab, who was an Amorite, by the way. And here in our list, Sarah was a Hittite when God called, them, uh, God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, and Rahab. And then in verse 35 of our chapter, you have the mention of many other women, not by name, but there were others, of course or excuse me, who, who uh, honored God with their life. So we have this example of what God can do with a woman like that. <coughs> excuse me. And secondly, we have Sarah, who really was saved from a life of godliness. And even though she and Abraham came out of a, 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 a Gentile pagan background, and yet she, was, she is held up always as, a, as a, an example of godliness and, and, and the right type of woman that she should be, and God saves her so God can save us from anywhere, and he can save any kind of person from any kind of a background, and that's a wonderful thing and why we have these examples. So what you have in, in front of you in your, in your uh, uh, outline, if, you, if you're looking at it, <clears throat> 
We're staying in uh, Hebrews 11 and using the verses that are here. So first of all, in verses 11 and 12, we have uh, this example of Sarah. And I want the two things that I have here uh, are two things that Sarah's faith believed. Sarah believed these things, but it's kind of like by faith she believed these things. Your faith can believe certain things. That's kind of like saying your belief can believe certain things. And uh, her faith, first of all, believed that all things are possible with God because she received strength to conceive seed, meaning she, of course, uh, uh, conceived Isaac and was delivered of a child when she was 90 years old, past the childbearing age. And so she judged God faithful when he promises things. When God tells us something is going to happen, we know it can happen. Let me, let me remind you of the story. I'll read it to you, but I'm reading from Genesis 18 for a few verses. Genesis 18, beginning in verse 9, it says, this is when the Lord had come to Abraham and said, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Therefore, verse 12 says, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, I am waxen old, and shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? The Lord says to Abraham, Is anything too hard for the Lord? And at the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laughed not. (laughs) I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, that is the Lord said, thou didst laugh. (laughs) Yes, you did. I heard you. Well, that's in Genesis 18. So in Genesis 21, beginning in verse 1, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, uh, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac, and you may not remember this, but the name Isaac means to laugh. (laughs) It can mean to mock, but it means to laugh. And it says, so Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. (laughs) And you're laughing this morning, (laughs) laughing with Sarah, because uh, God said, I promise that I'm going to do this thing for you. And she said, that's amazing. I just don't think that kind of thing can happen. And he said, watch me. And he returns at this time. She has conceived, and she bears a son, and she has to laugh about herself uh, for the rest of her life every time she looks at Isaac. So her faith, uh, Hebrews 11, is telling us that all things are possible with God as God reminded her and Abraham, and, and that is true. So 
God can do this and always will do it. You know, by faith, we receive a promise. You come and hear the gospel, and the gospel is preached to you, and maybe you're like a Sarah, maybe you're like a Rahab, maybe you're like somewhere else, and God says, uh, if you come, I will save you. And if you come, I will make something out of your life, and I will change you and put this behind you and give you this new life. And you may laugh, and you may say, I don't believe all of that stuff. I don't believe that gospel. And yet, it's true, isn't it? And so, uh, John 1.11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Sarah may have said, I don't think I have power to bear a child God says, yes, you do if I say so. And you may say, I don't have the power to become the sons of God. Yes, you do if you believe God, and God will give you that. So God takes our laughing at God and turns it into joy in God so that we can uh, joy in him. So that's the first thing we see in verse 11, but now in verse 12, Sarah's faith also believed that God's reward is far greater than our ability. He, he takes us beyond what we could do ourselves. And so it says in verse 12, Therefore sprang there even of one, of him as good as dead, that is, uh, could be taken as Abraham, and I think it is that Abraham basically did not have the ability in himself either to uh, have children at being 100 years old, but God gave him that ability. In Romans 4.19, there's a parallel verse that says uh, of Abraham, being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. And so people just don't have children at 90 and 100 years old. At least we're all hoping that we don't. But, uh, you know, and sometimes when, when people have children at 40 years old or in their 40s, somebody says, oh, Abraham and Sarah, huh? But uh, we're just kind of joking, but, at, but not at 100. And yet God can do greater than we think that we can. And then he says in verse 12, not only that, but out of... Isaac, and out of this seed that I give you, I will give you so many children you can't count them. And we have this expression, as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. We find that expression, for example, Genesis twenty-two seventeen, when God's speaking to Abraham, that in blessing I will bless thee, in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Hosea chapter 1, verse 10, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. Now, when is that going to happen? That's going to happen when the Lord returns and sets up his kingdom on this earth, and he's going to make Israel the number one nation on the earth. Right now, they're the, the lowest nation. Nobody regards Israel. They're a tiny nation, a few people. But one day, God is going to make them the number one nation, and for a thousand years when Jesus reigns on this earth, they will be the largest nation. They will be the number one nation uh, on this earth. What a blessing that will be. 
There's kind of an illustration of this in another way, and, and I've always liked this illustration of another woman named Sarah, and she happened to be uh, the, the wife of, of the great theologian Jonathan Edwards. And uh, she was one of those examples that everyone uses of a godly woman. Her name was Sarah. And uh, there's a story that I, I kept in a magazine some years ago, and, and I've read this in different ways since then, that uh, George Whitfield, the, the great American evangelist, lived in the same time as uh, Jonathan and Sarah Edwards. And one time he visited in their home and stayed overnight in their home, which was a common thing among evangelists and theologians and so forth. And so George Whitfield wrote down about his visit in, in uh, Jonathan and Sarah Edwards' home. And he said that I felt great satisfaction in being at the house of Mr. Edwards, a sweeter couple I have not yet seen. Their children were not dressed in silks and satins, but plain, as become the children of those who in all things ought to be examples of Christian simplicity. Mrs. Edwards is adorned with a meek and quiet spirit. She talked solidly of the things of God and seemed to be such a helpmeet of her husband that she caused me to renew those prayers, this is Whitfield speaking, caused me to renew those prayers which for some months I had put to God that he would be pleased to send me a daughter of Abraham to be my wife. That was the example that this Sarah had to him. Well, then this article concludes that in 1900... About 150 years after the Edwards lived, a man named A.E. Winship studied what appeared, uh, or what happened, excuse me, to 1,400 descendants, 1,400 descendants of Jonathan and Sarah Edwards by the year 1900. He found they included 13 college presidents, 65 professors, 100 lawyers and a dean of a law school, 30 judges, 66 physicians, and a dean of a medical school, 80 holders of public office, including three U.S. senators, mayors of three large cities, governors of three states, and a vice president of the United States and a controller of the United States Treasury. They had written over 135 books and edited 18 journals and periodicals, and many had entered the ministry. Over 100 were missionaries or on mission boards. Imagine that in 150 years, uh, what God had done to honor that couple with their children. Now, God honored Abraham and Sarah, and he isn't done honoring Abraham and Sarah and will give them uh, uh, this innumerable number of descendants, even in the kingdom of God. So, so my prayer, I thought, was, Lord, give give my sons, I have two of them, daughters of Abraham. But I've also prayed, give my sons-in-law, I have two of them, daughters of Abraham. And may our children uh, be like Sarah. Now, let's go a little further down in the chapter, though, and let's look at for a minute uh, the other female example that we have of Rahab. And I started in verse 30 because that speaks of the fall of Jericho, 
and uh, what happened there. And of course, you'll remember the story, right, that Rahab lived in Jericho and the Israelites sent out spies to, because they are going to conquer the land and the first thing they have to, to, to confront is the, is the fortress, the city of Jericho. So they, they send out spies to find out what's there and who's there and so forth. And you remember that, the, that this woman, Rahab, said, I'll hide you in my house from the authorities until it's safe and then you can go on your way. And so they, they were hidden in her house. Then she uh, lets them go and they said, because of what you have done, when we come to destroy this place, uh, you hang this scarlet thread from your window and anyone in your house will be safe, will not destroy you or whoever's in your house. So first of all, Rahab's faith believed that uh, God's direction is the best thing to take, right? This, uh, if this is what God is doing, I'm going to get with the program. If this is what God has said I will do, then that's what I'm going to believe, and, and, and I will do that. You know, um, it's kind of an interesting thing, too, that uh, Rahab becomes the first convert in the land of Canaan. As they go in to conquer this land, it's the, a female is the first convert. It's kind of like when Paul went into Europe, uh, first going to Philippi as he crossed over into Macedonia, the first convert in Europe was a woman, Lydia. And, and maybe this is just coincidence or interesting that uh, here the first female convert in Canaan, Rahab, uh, is signifies this by a scarlet thread, which many have found that this scarlet color, maybe the, the color of blood runs from the uh, Old Testament sacrifices through uh, this right down to Christ. And then Lydia is a seller of scarlet too, of purple, uh, and she's the first convert in, in uh, Macedonia. Regardless, uh, isn't it interesting that God says, I have no respect of persons here. Whoever comes to me, uh, I will in no wise cast out. And uh, sometimes, you know, people look at Christianity and say, you know, oh, you know, uh, you think that a man should lead, should lead uh, a woman, a husband ought to be the head of the house and so forth. And that sounds so patriarchal or whatever in our society. And yet here is God saying, uh, if a woman comes to me, I will save her regardless of her background, regardless of where she comes from, whether she comes first or last. And we find that uh, in the body of Christ, there's neither male nor female, Jew or Gentile. All are accepted in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a great thing that is. You know, there was another, there was another uh, uh, Gentile also who was saved. You remember the Gentile named Naaman? <laughs> you, remember, you remember that Gentile and how he got saved? It's in 2 Kings um, in, in 2 Kings chapter 5. Let me, let me read it to you again because... What I want you to see or, or to understand here is that Rahab could say, if this is what the God of Israel is doing, I will believe it and I will do it. Well, here's the story of Naaman, who was uh, a Gentile uh, king. His servants came near and spake unto him and said, I'm jumping in the middle of the story. God said, you have leprosy, go wash in the Jordan seven times, dip yourself into the water seven times, and after the seventh time you'll come up and your, and your uh, 
leprosy would be gone. And he says, I'm not going to go out in that muddy Jordan and put myself under that water. What kind of a command is that to give to me? And he turns to go away after seeking God on this. And so his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then when he said, Wash and be clean? <laughs> then he went down, dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh became again like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. How many people have, have come to the Lord uh, out of a rough background like, like Rahab, and uh, God says, I will save you and clean up your life if you'll just put your faith in me. And they say, it can't be that simple. It just can't be that, that I could have my sins forgiven and my background gone and, and be right before God. And God says, you trust me and it will happen. Now, Rahab uh, is about to find that out. And so the second thought we have here is that Rahab's faith believed that no life is beyond reconciliation to God. She can be reconciled to God. Again, in verse 31, by faith, the harlot Rahab, because that's what she was, not what she is after she was saved, perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. So here is this Amorite who had now become a Canaanite living in the land, uh, who had become a harlot uh, for livelihood or whatever. And uh, you know what she's looking for? She's looking for a way out. She's looking for a way out of this life. And here come these two Israelites, and she's heard about them. Matter of fact, they know what's going on across the river there. They know uh, these uh, a few million Israelites have come out of Egypt, and they're destroying everything in their path. And she knows that. And she says, maybe there's a chance there for me. I kind of think of like Levi, the uh, tax collector, you know, Matthew, uh, who hated his job and had this terrible job of being a tax collector. And the Lord comes by and says, Levi, follow me. And he said, done. <laughs> he put his papers down and walked away with the Lord, looking for a way out of that life. And she was looking, I think, for a way out of this life too. And, and so you have two missionaries, <laughs> spies they're called, of course, because they were spying uh, on the city. And we don't know who they are. The, the Old Testament doesn't tell us. One old theory is that Salmon, who became her husband, was one of the spies. Maybe that could be so. She did marry a man uh, with that name. And another tradition says Phinehas and Caleb, two of the prominent leaders in Israel, but we don't know that for sure either. But uh, we do have this story of, uh, uh, of part of her faith in, in the book of Joshua, chapter 2, where, where this is taking place. Beginning in verse 10, it says, uh, here is her words, by the way, to the spies. So she's taking them into her house, and she says this, We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. And when you came out of Egypt, and and uh, what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Zihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, she says, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God of heaven above and in earth beneath. That's that's a story of faith. 
not my gods, not the gods of these Canaanites, not, not the way I grew up, but rather where you are from and your God, he is the true God. And so whatever he says he's going to do, count me in. I'm with you guys. And placed her faith that way. By the way, you're in, uh, you're in Hebrews, and if you turn over probably two pages in your Bible to the right to James 2.25... James mentions Rahab briefly when he's talking about being justified by faith and says, Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, I'll explain that in a minute, when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. Now we read that statement that she was justified by works, and some people are pretty shocked by that statement. Luther himself didn't like that statement. But basically what James is talking about in this part of the book is that your faith is seen to be or is justified in that sense by what you do. You don't just say, I'm a believer, and then never live for God and expect people to believe it. How is your faith, quote, justified? How, how is your faith proved? Your faith is proved by the life that you live, right? That's how she was justified by her works. The same is said, by the way, of Abraham, uh, who believed God in Genesis 15 and was circumcised in Genesis 18, and therefore his faith was justified by that work that, that is proved to be true by his works. So how is Rahab's faith proved to be true? Well, it's proved to be true because she hears of the God of Israel. She hears what he's doing. She believes that he's the true God. So rather than saying, you can't stay at my house, get out of my house, she says, you're on his side, come on in. I'll give you shelter. And when you come back, remember me, would you? Because I know you're going to destroy this city. I know your God's going to do that. So she proved her faith by the works that she did. That's what James is telling us, and basically that's what Hebrews chapter 11 here is telling us also. And God then blessed her and gave her salvation, and that's why she's in this chapter, chapter 11. You know, people hear the gospel today and still say, uh, you know, I, uh, I believe it, and then they go off and live a life that has nothing to do with it. There was a parable that Jesus gave, and I want to remind you of this parable as we come to a finish here today. In Matthew chapter 21, in Matthew 21, it's a parable about the two sons, and one went to work and one did not. Remember that? Because he had faced the Pharisees. And the Pharisees said, we believe in God, but nothing in their life proved it. And yet, the publicans and sinners came to him and they said, well, you can't, you know, those people aren't worthy, but they came, believed on him and changed their lives. So here's how the Lord put it. A certain man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and he went. And he came to the second, and he said, likewise. And he said, sir, I will go. But he went not. Whether of the two of them did the will of his father. Are you understanding what he's saying here? 
Is it the one that says, yes, I'll go work for you today, and then when his back is turned, he didn't go work? Is that the one who believed? But here's somebody else who said, no, I don't want to work. But then he says, yes, I do, and I will. And he went and worked. Which of them believed? That second man, of course. And what's, what is he saying here? It's not the Pharisee who says, oh, I believe in God, but never does anything that shows a faith in God. But here are, and by the way, at the end of this parable, I say unto you, Verily, verily, I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Because these publicans and these harlots came to Jesus and said, I believe who you are. They left their sin and followed him, unlike the Pharisees. By the way, don't believe all those people who said, you know, Jesus was just kind of a party animal. He just condoned everybody's sin. He didn't care uh, what they were doing, and he participated with them. What, what blasphemy to say things like that. Here's Jesus saying, no, the publicans and the harlots followed me because they believed in me and changed their life. And that will happen to anyone who comes and places their faith in the Lord Jesus. And so here's our example of Rahab who comes out of a background like that and believes in the Lord and her life changes and she becomes a direct descendant of King David and then of, the, of Messiah himself. And, and a great example, one of two women out of the whole uh, Old Testament as examples of faith, what God can do uh, when we place our faith in him. So the gospel invitation that we have, folks, is very easy. We're to repent of our sins. We're to come to God because we need forgiveness. We're to come to Him because our sin would take us to a Christless eternity, and we're to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do, then our faith will have changed us, and we will serve Him, and we will leave those old things behind, and it will show that our faith is real. That's why you're here this morning. That's why you're, you're uh, uh, listening to the Word of God. That's why you try to live a Christian life before, before the Lord, to show others that faith works, that faith can change you. And it changed Sarah, and it changed Rahab, and it can change us. Stand now with me, if you will. As we think about these things and we go to the Lord in prayer, Maybe your need is totally different from any other person, but God can meet that need. Maybe you're saying, I don't know if God can do these things for me, and I'm saying to you, yes, he can. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, thank you for the example of Sarah, who though she thought something was impossible, you showed her that all things are possible with God. And Father, maybe there's some of us standing here today that would serve you, but we think it's impossible. We, we would do the right thing, but we think we can't. We, we would answer your call, but uh, we think that it's just impossible for someone like us to do it. And yet, Father, you, we know that you can. And then, Father, maybe there's someone here that doesn't know Christ as Savior and is saying, I don't know how the Lord could save anybody like me. And yet we look at Rahab and we see how God's grace can change a person into what she, from what she was to what she uh, became. So, Father, thank you for the grace of God. Thank you for these things uh, and these wonderful promises that you give to us. Help us to be men and women of faith, to be 
fathers, mothers, husbands and wives, grandparents, and those that show example. May young people uh, see great examples of faith and say in their life, I will follow the Lord. I will, I will remember now my creator in the days of my youth. Help us, Father, to do that because of these great examples we have. We'll thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Our invitation is always open as we sing, as John comes and leads.